Welcome. My name's Donna, and I... What? <laughs> I didn't hear what they said. But it... <laughs> and I have been a tree nerd for most of my life. But in the past year, I have transitioned from just thinking trees are amazing to seeing that God actually tells us a story through trees in the Bible. That we can look at trees from Genesis to Revelation and we can actually tell the gospel story and we can see a lot of who God is and who we are through trees. I don't know how I live so long without realizing that, but it's been a really cool exploration for me, so I'm glad you're here because I want to share it with you because it's pretty cool. But first, I just want to start by saying, do you know how close you are here to the largest living thing on earth? Who knows what it's called? It's a tree. tree. Who knows the name of it? General Sherman. Woo, woo, woo. Have you been there? Yeah, it's 16 miles away. You guys could start walking now and you could get there by dinner. And if you haven't been there, you need to tell your, ask, not tell, you don't tell your youth pastor anything. Ask your youth pastor if you can swing by the General Sherman tree on the way home because it is amazing and it makes you say, God, you are amazing. That largest living thing, oh, first I'll tell you this. This is my husband and me. You can barely see us because we're tiny next to these sequoia trees. Sequoia trees which only grow here in this little part of the world, are in 65 groves only in the whole world, and there's one grove really close to here that you really can walk to from here, and you can get right up to touch them. But if you go all the way to the General Sherman tree, you can't touch it because it's in the National Park and there's a fence around it, but you still should go see it because it is huge, 369, 379 feet tall, 35 feet wide, Huge, huge branches. When they fall to the ground, you think, that's as big as my car, and that's just a branch. And God made these trees so that they have this really thick bark that's filled with this certain kind of resin that can withstand fire, which is amazing. Most, of the, most sequoia trees have like this black scar on it from fire. And some of them have been living through for 3,000 years, and they only grow here. That's why when you go to Sequoia National Park and you stand in front of this tree, you hear people speaking all kinds of languages because they come from everywhere to stand in awe of this tree. But we, when we stand in awe of this tree, we, are, we need to be mindful that we are ultimately standing in awe of God because God made it. God made it, and it only grows here in this strip of 260-mile strip on the western side of, the, western, uh, the, western side of the, the Sierra Nevada because that's the only place where the conditions are exactly right. Between 5,000 and 7,000 feet high in elevation, it only grows here. you got to go. It's got to be on your bucket list. But why? Why would God make these trees? What do you think? Why would God make these trees? Yes, sir. Nice. As an analogy, good. Why else would God make these trees? It's a real simple answer. You know. Just humor me by saying it. Yes. Because they're beautiful and because it gives him glory. It gives him pleasure. It gives God great pleasure to make these trees. So guess what? If you want to be godly, (laughs) you need to take great pleasure in these trees and in God's creation. He wants us to take pleasure in it. It pleases him when we take pleasure in the things that he has made. 
So we look at these trees. Hopefully we see it and it makes us want to worship the God who made it. And here's what I want you to realize. There are other trees in the Bible that we need to pay attention to. Not that this tree is in. There are trees, not other. There are trees in the Bible that God wants us to pay attention to. In Genesis, it tells us that God planted a garden. Isn't that a cool thing to think about? God as a gardener. God planted, the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put a man, Adam, who he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made this to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. Okay, so there's this, there's this garden full of trees that God made because they gave him pleasure. And they give us pleasure. They're pleasant to look at. They're good to eat. But he specifically talks about two of them. One, the tree of life, which was in the midst of the garden, and the other, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Only two get special mention. Now, let me tell you something about that tree of life. We can assume that that tree of life was not ready to eat from. For whatever reason, the fruit may not have been ripe, but it was in the midst of the garden, and Adam and Eve probably would have had to walk past it to get to this other tree called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. It's a long name for a tree. But what do you know about that? What did God tell Adam about the tree of the knowledge of good and evil? Do not eat. Could they eat from all the other trees? Yes, but this one he tells them. He tells Adam, do not eat. And what does Eve do? She likely walks near the tree of life, which promised life. Life so full, so beautiful, so everlasting. We, it, we can't even imagine all that that tree was going to offer. But God said, it's not time yet for the tree of life. Obey me, trust me, wait for the tree of life. And don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What do they do? They, they didn't wait. She grasped for something. She grasped for fruit at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thinking that would give her life. Biggest mistake ever, right? Did not trust the Lord. The tree of life was a tree of testing. Would you wait? Would you wait for what God has for you? It will be better. Or are you going to grasp from this other tree? Will you obey me and not grasp for the other tree? And Eve failed that test. And she gave it to Adam, the one who God said, do not eat. And what did Adam do? You know, he ate, right? He took the, fr the fruit from Eve and he ate of it. And they both did. And what does God do? What happened to Adam and Eve after eating? Somebody louder. Yes, got kicked out, and it's not a gentle word. It is not a gentle word. They were kicked out. They were banished. They were alienated from God, from one another, from the rest of creation because they sinned. And does anybody know what God did with the tree of life? It says it was guarded. 
So they're kicked out of the garden, and the tree of life itself was guarded with angels with flaming swords. So they could not even get near it. I imagine that they, they couldn't even see it. And I think that it's fair to say that the rest of the Bible, the rest of human history is the story of people trying to get back to the tree of life. And throughout the Bible, we see a lot of different trees that represent this journey to try to get back to the tree of life. But God's people realized that there had to be one who would make a way to the tree of life. And when you read your Bible, pay attention to trees. We don't have time to go into it, but there are, there are trees everywhere in the Bible where significant spiritual things happen. There's the bush, there's a branch, there's a lot of things going on. When you read, look for it. We don't have time, but it's really amazing. Sometimes you read the Bible and you don't realize how things are all connected. They're all intentional and they're all connected. So, the tree of life is guarded. And I think we can, we can think of the rest of, of human history as this desire, this eagerness, this journey to try to get back to the tree of life. And where do we see the tree of life again? Who knows? We see it at the very beginning in Genesis, and where else do we see it? Revelation. Nice. Revelation 22. Remember, Revelation is a vision that God gave to John about what was to come. And here we see in Revelation 22, then, so, a vision that John is getting and he's telling us about it, okay? Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. Okay, so in Genesis, well, you know what, let me go to the next slide. The, um, the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. So we see the tree of life here at the end of the Bible, and it has expanded. Remember some of the things we said about the tree of life in Genesis? There was fruit, there wasn't, it wasn't time yet for it, it wasn't ripe. Now, we see 12 kinds of fruit. Imagine a tree with 12 different kinds of fruit. It's available all the time, year-round. You don't have to wait for that apple to be ripe. There's fruit all the time. This, this tree has expanded in size and significance and in its kind of life-giving potential. Even the leaves, the very leaves, will heal the nations. The tree of life in the garden was available to Adam and Eve. This tree is available to the nations. It will heal the nations. And it's so, it has expanded so much in a way that we cannot comprehend. It's on two sides of a river. Can't even really picture it, can we? And while the tree of life in Genesis was a place of testing, this tree of life is a place of worship, it tells us. So, it has expanded its giving, offering 
everlasting, full, abundant life, life that we all long for, where everything will be healed. Every broken relationship, every sadness, disease, it will all be healed just by the leaves, never mind the beautiful fruit that is available 12 months a year. It's a beautiful picture of what will be available to God's people. But how do we have access to this? Is this tree for everyone? How do we have access to this? Yeah, there's another tree. Do you know that the cross of Jesus is called a tree in several places in the Bible? It's only through another tree, through the tree of Calvary, that Jesus and Jesus' death on that tree, that, that we can have access to this tree of life that was guarded back when sin entered the world. First Peter tells us that Jesus himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. And Paul in Acts 13 says about Jesus, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. So between tree of life at the beginning and at the end, we have another tree in the Gospels where the seemingly impossible sin problem from Genesis that occurred at the first tree of life was solved at the second tree by Jesus' death so that we could have life eternal and abundant at the third tree. It's an awesome story when we make these connections that God intended for us to make. Deuteronomy told us, tells us that, that criminals were hung to die on trees and that it was a public sign of, of people that were punished by people but also cursed by God. That's who hung on trees. And although Jesus was crucified by people, he, he was under God's curse when he was on that cross. Isaiah 53.10 tells us it was the will of the Lord to crush him and he took on our punishment for sin on that tree so that the way to the tree of life would be open to us. But we have to realize that it is only through Jesus and what he did on the tree on Calvary that we can have access to this tree. And we have to realize that if we grasp for fruit, like Eve did, at trees or at fruit that will not give us life, instead of eating of the, eating of the, the tree and of Jesus himself, that's where true life is found. Because this tree of judgment, the cross, has become the tree of life for us. And I like how Nancy Guthrie says, the tree of life is life-giving. It's forever feeding, right? This fruit that never, that is perpetual and forever healing. And she says, it's Christ himself. This tree is Christ himself. John 1, 14 says, in him was life. Life 
full and abundant and never-ending, the thing we long for when this life is so hard. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day, says in John 6. So we must feed on his atoning death for our life and as our life. The good life that we all long for is in him alone. It's in Jesus alone. And Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And we can be so tempted by so many other things out there that that offer to give us life. And it's a lie. Life is to be found in Christ. Well, there are times in the Bible when God teaches us things about himself through trees, where he tells this, this gospel story, if we think of the biblical theology of trees throughout the Bible. But also there are times in the Bible where we are likened to trees. Psalm 1, some of you may know Psalm 1. But here's a place where you are likened to a tree. Let me read it to you. The righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither In all he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they dry up like chaff and they are, uh, they blow away. So, the righteous man is like a tree planted by streams of water that yield fruit. So, when we take of Jesus' life, put our faith in him because he took care of the sin problem from the beginning of time and died for us and we put our faith in him, Psalm 1 tells us that then we begin to bear fruit. We become like a tree. We can offer fruit to other people. We can help to feed and nourish other people. That is really cool. We become like him in that way. Somebody, one of you said something earlier And I didn't really comment on it because I wanted to wait, but here's the time. Something I love about trees is that their roots are all interconnected underground. So you look at a sequoia tree, and it's over 300 feet tall, and you think, how in the world has that tree not fallen over? If it's been alive for almost 3,000 years, and there have terrible winds, we had 10 feet of snow up here this winter, fires, all kinds of things. How come these trees haven't fallen over and died? Surely, if you're a thinking person, you might think, well, they have a huge root that goes really down deep to hold it up. And it's not true. Sequoias don't have really deep roots. But what they do have is an interconnected web. Actually, I read one scientist who calls it the wood wide web. Get it? Anyway. Corny. Okay, a little science humor. Okay, but they're all interconnected, but they're not only physically interconnected, like if you think of the game Twister, right? Too old. Okay, never mind. Um, 
Everything's interconnected. It's like they're holding hands underground, holding each other up. But they're not only physically interconnected, holding each other up, but they are communicating. Trees communicate to each other through their root systems. It's just, should blow your minds. Okay, see all the little yellow dots? The sun in this drawing is hitting that middle tree. So you might think the middle tree is going to thrive and the others will finally die out because they don't have sun. But what this is trying to communicate to us, and it's so cool, is that underground where we can't see and they're all twisted up and interconnected, that middle tree is sharing nourishment with all the trees out to the periphery. Whatever trees are nourishment they're getting, water, sun, nutrients from the soil, they share underground. I think this is such a beautiful picture for us of how God intends for us to live. There are times when you will feel so depleted, like you are lacking nourishment. And we, when that time comes, you have to have a friend or a youth pastor or a parent or a teacher, someone who is thriving, someone who is getting their nourishment from the Lord who can say, let me share with you right now. Let me read to you what I read in my Bible this morning. Let me pray for you. Let me tell you true things about God. Let me tell you true things about your identity in Christ to nourish you when you are going through that time of depletion. It happens to all of us. And we need each other. And here's the thing. You can't get to that hard time and go, oh, I better get interconnected because I'm, I'm in a really hard time. we got to be interconnected before that happens. I cannot tell you this strongly enough. You guys, you have to go deep in church and stay there. Church is God's answer to you for how to be a strong person and to be nourished when you are depleted. That's how God made you. Our culture will tell you that to be strong means to be independent, do your own thing, think your own way, not need anybody, and it's a big fat lie, and we will not flourish if that's how we try to live. God's intention for you is that you go deep in church and that you stay there, and you be so interconnected that when you or your friend is depleted, you're sharing, you're, you're, you're strengthening one another, with nourishment that comes from the Lord through you to that other tree. <laughs> that is God's plan for us. Here's another cool way that we are like trees. Have any of you guys heard of Biosphere 2? Yeah? Cool. It's a big science experiment. I don't even know if it continues, but anyway, it's in Arizona, built this really cool... Uh, structure where they do um, science, scientific uh, observations and experiments on plants and things, trying to recreate um, the Earth's, uh, the, all the different kinds of plants and stuff that they're studying. Sorry, I don't know why I'm getting tongue-tied, because I'm trying to rush, that's why. Um, anyway, you know what they learned after years of this? They observed that their trees were not thriving they weren't growing to their full height. Some of them were dying. 
kind of leaning over. They were not thriving. And the scientists for a while were perplexed. They had all the nutrients, the soil, the temperature, the humidity, the water, everything they needed. Why were these trees not thriving? And you know what they realized through studying them? The one thing that was lacking, and it makes sense if you look at it, they're all enclosed. Wind. There was no wind. You can't have wind in a glass house. Why? Why do you think trees need wind to thrive? Somebody? Yeah, who said that? Struggle? Nice. Yeah, good. Oh, that's smart. That, you sound like a scientist. That's good, that's good. Yeah, what I read, struggle. So, wind comes, trees are bending, right? Trees can't be so, so stiff that they don't bend. They move in the wind. But there's something about that bending and coming back and bending and coming back to upright that strengthens them. Do you see the spiritual significance of this? Our lives are filled with struggle. Between Genesis and Revelation, what we see is life of struggle. It's a life of struggle. I know all of you have experienced struggle, and you will. You will continue to, and the people you love will continue to. But so often, struggle is God's plan for us to strengthen us. I have a group of friends, my dear, dear friends. For over 20 years, we've been getting together regularly, and we have dinner, we raised our kids together, we take care of each other. And here's some one thing that we have observed over 24 years of friendship with this group of women that I get together with. Our life together is really a long story of taking turns taking care of each other when we're suffering. Last year, it was my turn. Went through something really, really hard. And my friends fed my family and cleaned my house and prayed for me nonstop, and they were there. And then when I got through my struggle, it's my another friend's struggle, and we are all there but God does this to us so often to strengthen us. But we have to have our roots interconnected to help us withstand the wind and help us share the nourishment. That's his plan for us. We need to go deep in church and be interconnected and not hate necessarily when hard times come, Sometimes see them as a blessing of the Lord to make us stronger. So many things we could learn from trees, but this is just a taste. As I said, God meets with people near trees in high places, and that's where you are this week. And I hope that that happens for you. And we have a couple questions, so, I mean, a couple minutes. So, does anyone have a question? Yes. Yeah. Um, where the cross is called the tree. Um, oh, sorry. Somebody said it. Did someone say it? Okay. There's First Peter. Go ahead. Who's saying it? 
Nice. And then there's Acts uh, 13, 29. They took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. Luke, yeah. It's in Acts. That's Luke, yeah. Any other questions? No? Yeah, Biosphere 2. Yep. Yeah, look it up. It's really cool. Oh, nice. You know all about it. Yeah, the first one failed because they were uh, packaging, like, the alligator wasn't providing the Oh, nice. Okay. Have you visited? I had a student last week who had visited Biosphere 2, and I was really jealous. Yes. Um, well, I'm from Connecticut, and so... Uh, Maple trees that turn orange and red in the fall are my favorite, but sequoia are my, fav my next favorite. Sequoia are my favorite California trees. Yeah. Do you, are you raising your hand? No. Okay. All right, let me pray for you guys. Lord, thank you for bringing these students here this week. I believe that you have them here because you want them to get a, just a greater, clearer picture of who you are. And Lord, I pray that even as they walk around and look at trees, that they would be reminded of how awesome you are, how creative you are, and how personal you are that you provided for them through the, the cross of Calvary. So, Lord, I pray that they would go home different as a result of being here near trees in a high place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay.